Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm Andrew Evenson, uh, Marketing Manager at Fitness On Demand. So uh, first off, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure for us to have the opportunity to speak to industry professionals like yourselves uh, who are willing to attend events like this and uh, who are committed to uh, being educated and abreast of the developments in the industry to push their business forward. So uh, with that, we've got a lot of great material to share with you today, uh, as well as a special guest who I cannot wait to introduce to you. So to start us off, I want to turn it over to Garrett Marshall. Uh, Garrett, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Andrew. Um, I will second that. I thank uh, the audience for being here with us today. Um, as Andrew, my name is Garrett Marshall. I've been in the industry now for probably about 15 years, which is most of my professional experience. And um, during that time, I've had the opportunity and the challenge to pursue uh, probably a lot like you, positions that have, let's just say, required innovation and, and demanded results. And during that time, I've had the absolute fortune and continue to uh, learn from some of the most esteemed experts in the industry and most recognized business models. Um, I've participated in an IPO back in 2003, 2004, been through a couple of private equity events, and I've also helped launch two fit tech startups who have collectively received four Inc. 5000 nominations. Thanks, Garrett. So our topic today is leveraging the consumer fitness groundswell. So uh, if you could elaborate a little bit more on what we're going to get into today. Yeah, I, I mean, just to start broadly, um, I think for most of us, but especially those that have chosen to make uh, fitness their career path, we can't help but recognize the rise in consumer health awareness. Like For me, that realization was um, most evident around Christmas of 2014. Literally, it was probably like the easiest shopping list of all time. I think I I think I purchased 11 smartwatches. I mean, honestly, I, I completely drained out Macy's supply. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of four boys in my family, so when I have the opportunity to pick on one, it's always my youngest brother, Cooper, who's the runt. And I think still today he'll never realize why his uh, smartwatch is the color passion fruit. But, uh, you know, he, that's what he wanted for Christmas, and I, I think as the older brother I, I, feel, I still feel like I came through. But... Um, Today's discussion is really designed to take a look under the hood and understand what's impacting uh, these trends and more specifically how we as commercial operators can leverage these for our own advantage. So um, we'll, we'll start broadly. Let's just take a look at the um, major market forces that are um, perpetuating consumer fitness. So the first market force uh, is social. Uh, today, wellness is really a status symbol among consumers who um, prioritize a well-balanced physical and mental health state. It's it's literally a, a hot topic at all levels of society for a few reasons we're going to explore today. But one of those is the increase in life expectancy. And as people get older, more people than ever before have uh, have and are exposed to uh, the risk of chronic uh, chronic long-term health disease. Uh, technology is also another market force that's uh, increasing health awareness. Today, consumers have all the tools they need to um, maintain, monitor, and actually improve their own health on their own. Um, with the explosion of information um, that's online and available through apps and just the ease of access to it, um, consumers are better positioned than they ever have to uh, have knowledge within, their, uh, within a finger's reach. And then finally, along with this idea of more like consumer-oriented, proactive health control, there's an economic uh, market force, and consumers are paying closer attention to the rising cost of traditional health care. 
Um, in fact, I think the World Bank predicts that by 2025, 20% of all uh, U.S. GDP will be re directly related to health care costs. Um, today, one in four Americans actually have uh, health care-related debt, and it's also the number one reason for bankruptcy. Got it. So let's uh, dive a little bit deeper into who this consumer fitness audience is uh, that we're talking about today and, and really why it's important to club operators. Yeah, sure. So let, let's start with just some basic, if you can page four, just some basic uh, information on the industry. So I, I showed this slide uh, when I gave a similar presentation a few months ago at Club Industry, and I, I remember that I had an audience of a lot of club operators, people who, who were involved in technology, and I asked the group how many, by show of hands, were familiar with photocracy, and I, I think there were two people in the audience. So for those, uh, for those of you that are in a similar bucket and are not familiar with photocracy, um, photocracy started as an online platform to help its user, um, who from my knowledge is uh, an entrant level uh, fitness consumer in terms of their fitness acumen. Um, reach a desired outcome. And they've evolved to include coaches that are available to support those end users through to desired goals. But I think what's, what's really unique about photocracy is their completely, um, completely unique spin on fitness. So they don't have workouts, they have quests, and appropriately, no trainers, quest masters. But probably what's more astounding is they're rumored to have about 2 million um, active users, which by commercial health club standards would make Photocracy one of the largest brands in the world. And the reality is, is most of us don't know that they exist. And I think that that, that in a way is sort of symbolic of what's happening beneath the surface um, as a whole for uh, consumer fitness. So what do we know about, uh, about this market population? Okay, so if, if I can, I'm just going to elaborate a bit on who we're talking about today. So all the data that you're going to see in the following slides must meet two criteria. The first criteria is that we're talking about frequent exercisers, meaning people that, are, uh, that do exercise three times or more per week uh, for a minimum of 30 minutes. So obviously the, the amount of consumers who do any form of exercise under the sun, whether that's walking the dog or you know, going outside, walking to work, et cetera, it's, it's, it's a loose statistic and it's a very large population of people. But what we want to do today is provide the audience with more actionable insights. And so for that reason, we're focusing on a much more narrow demographic. Again, these, these aren't the people that we're trying to persuade off the couch. Uh, these are people that may in fact be exercising more regularly than the majority of our, of our current members. And that, that brings us to criteria number two. Uh, everyone in the information you're about to see uh, cannot be a member of a gym. So we'll talk about this market as consumer fitness today. We'll describe the people that comprise it as fitness consumers, which would, of course, be opposed to um, fitness members, meaning members of a gym. So hopefully that's not too confusing. Uh, okay, so talking about market scope here, um, the Gallup organization conducts a survey every day, in fact, that asks Americans one simple question. In the last seven days, how often have you exercised? Uh, those respondents who report three or more are considered frequent exercisers. Then they take that information and they aggregate it on a monthly basis. So earlier last year in 2017, that uh, monthly average high uh, hit a record with 57.5% of respondents um, reporting as frequent exercisers. Uh, that's a big number. It's 185 million in fact. And if you want to contrast that with the commercial fitness industry, we know that there are about 55 million Americans who have uh, some form of a gym membership. And while we don't know exactly how many of those exercise three or more times per week, we do know that just a little bit less 
than half of the 55 million exercise two times or more per week. So it stands to reason with pretty good certainty that that subpopulation of the 185 million frequent exercisers who belong to a gym is probably somewhere in the range of 17 to, let's just say, 23 million. So if you subtract that from 185, that leaves a staggering 163 million um, uh, consumers who are exercising three times or more per week but do not belong to gym. So it's a, it's a big number. Uh, and what's more, we know that that population is growing at a rate of 1% year over year. So that also means that next year by this time, there'll be an additional 1.5 to 2 million uh, frequent exercisers who do not belong to gym. Okay, um, motivations for exercise. I haven't parsed this information out specifically for the commercial market, but I would imagine it looks pretty similar. Um, we know that seven out of 10 of these frequent exercisers um, are doing so to build strength. About the same amount are exercising to lose weight. And the third and fourth highest ranking um, exercise motivations for consumers tie back to basic preventative uh, health measures. Um, where they're getting their information, where they research fitness, Again, nothing that really should be um, shocking here. The majority of consumers are getting that information online. That's followed by magazines. And then finally, um, peers and word of mouth. And that's an interesting one that we'll come back to in a few slides when we talk about creating experiences in your gym, um, which have that intrinsic word of mouth value or component uh, that can be used to attract or reach this, uh, this difficult consumer fitness population. What do they do when they work out? Um, again, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing that should be astounding here. Uh, these are the top five. You see running at the top, which is, uh, which is no surprise. It's probably the most convenient form of exercise under the sun. Um, cycling is an example. I think it's pretty easy for us as commercial operators to see the integration opportunities that exist with cycling. Uh, to reach those consumers. And then I'll, I'll just point out that um, here again, with maybe the exception of cycling, the top five here really require no special equipment. And in some ways, I think this probably reflects on the, some of the successes we've seen in our own industry, maybe with some of the boutique providers who have chosen to focus in one, if not a couple of these disciplines. Um, but the reality is for m most of us, we offer an array of amenities. So today we are going to talk about how to create those programming branches and signature modules that layer on top of your business model um, and can be designed to uh, attract the fitness consumer. But the key, the key with that is um, being able to package that with the right messaging and the right price model so that uh, those incremental amenities can be perceived as an additional value by the consumer. Okay, thanks, Garrett. So we, we understand who the market is and a bit about their behaviors. Uh, let's talk about what's driving the consumer fitness behavior. Uh, fortunately, I suspect we probably don't have to really invent uh, the marketing strategy for the consumer fitness, um, but rather can get some guidance from looking at consumer fitness products and services that are already having some good success. Yeah, totally. We, we talk about that a lot even internally. And, uh, you know, somebody was asking me the other day about uh, – our competitor profile, and I had just, it just occurred to me, you know, it seems every day there's a new product, there's a new app, there's a new toy, and um, so those lines have really blurred. So I, I think, to your point, rather than needing to, like, create the, a marketing plan based on what's driving um, successful consumer fitness, we can just look to a lot of the products that are getting engagement today to try to extract some, uh, some learning. So I'll, I'll, I'll rip through these pretty quickly. Uh, so the first product category is coaching apps. Um, we talked about Photocracy earlier. That is a plan-oriented coaching tool. So 
So when you're in the search and discovery process with Photocracy, um, you'll notice there's no place to go to find a coach or to um, meet a trainer. Um, that's all discovered as you peel back the onion, starting first with the end user's outcome. Um, I've got a screenshot here, Andrew, if you could just go down one, of uh, some of the plans that you might find on Photocracy. So you can see that they have a very grainy and authentic feel um, as the content here is input by the fitness professional. So you've got to the right, of course, the badass warrior princess one-on-one. -on -one. Doesn't exactly look like a, like a direct mail campaign that we might put out on behalf of our clubs, but you know, I think that's uh, unintentionally maybe one of the things that, uh, that's worked in Photocracy's uh, benefit. And they're drawing uh, you know, around $300 a month for that client, as you can see, and it's all conducted remotely uh, uh, via, um, via an online presence. Uh, Fitmo would be the on the opposite end of the spectrum. That's a pro-oriented coaching app. So you, re you would re really never use this product unless you had made the decision that you were looking for a personal trainer or wanted to hire a, a fitness professional. Um, but when you make that decision, this app uh, makes the matchmaking process and the delivery process for that guidance uh, very, very seamless. Fitnet, somewhere in the middle, has some components of both of these products, but their specialty is really uh, live video conference. Um, obstacle racing. This may be a product category that you wouldn't uh, have expected to see uh, on the list, but I think we've got a couple hundred or so participants today, so there's no doubt a few of you who have been crazy enough to actually do one of these mud runs um, in the past. But um, the reality is you wouldn't be among the minority. Um, research shows that uh, mud runs have actually surpassed the total participation in both half and full marathons combined. I think last year there were about four and a half million uh, participants overall in mud runs. As you see on screen, these are just a few of the leaders in the space. Um, you have Warrior Dash, which I think by most enthusiasts might be considered like your entry-level um, obstacle race. It's a 5K style, generally ranges in price from about $40 to $90. You also have Spartan Race, which has just a little bit more variety. They have four core races, um, the Sprint, the Super, the, the Beast, and the Ultra Beast, if I'm not mistaken. And then you have Tough Mudder. Only uh, three out of four people typically uh, complete a Tough Mudder, and it's a very similar price point. So, you know, what's interesting to me is when you look at obstacle racing, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't even feel like these existed five years ago. So you have to ask the question, what is it uh, that these races are offering the consumer that's so attractive? And I think first, you know, they're a very experiential way to reach a desired outcome. I mean, if you are not in condition for the race, on race day, you will be physically tortured, won't you? So um, they're chock full of motivation. Uh, and also, they're very social events, both in preparation and also uh, on race day. Uh, video trainers is next. Uh, there are a handful of these. Many of you may have experienced, uh, experimented or experienced these products that you see on screen. Um, and just again to run through these quickly and talk a little bit about what makes them unique and why they've been successful. Um, Daily Burn is a live video streaming product. They literally broadcast a live workout uh, that's 30 minutes long, 365 days a year. And um, it's very evident that their model is about experience. So it's a fantastic solution for being able to bring the tribe effect into the living room of their end user. Uh, so that's Daily Burn. Cody, uh, next one over. This is a video-on-demand product. 
their slogan is live in the movement, which really kind of characterizes their desire to be a lifestyle solution. And that's, that's definitely the feel you get when you're using the Cody product. Uh, it's not a new twist on exercise. It's not a new fitness methodology. It's just really beautiful bite-sized content that um, can, can be consumed on your own schedule. So this is truly a convenience-type uh, convenience product. Uh, then you have FitStart, which is now owned by Fitbit, and uh, that's a personal training app that provides instruction through video. If you just will page down, i got a couple screenshots here. Um, and what makes FitStar unique is these video segments that you see on the right-hand side of the screen, uh, which are actually just workout intervals, those compile in real time based on your previous workout performance, but also the feedback that you give the app uh, during the workout experience. So their unique selling proposition is centered around personalization. Okay, just a couple more. Um, tracking apps, again, these are probably very familiar names to most of the audience, and this is a, there's a long list of options here. Uh, I've only got a couple that deserve honorable mention. Um, Strava is a, a platform for outdoor athletes. It allows them to track, share, and compete on their exercise. Um, this is a screenshot of one of the features that I think is great with Strava, and um, many of you may be runners and have had that experience where you're outside and you see a beautiful sunrise in the morning. They've created an interface that allows their end user to attach that type of multimedia directly to their recorded uh, fitness events, really um, effectively personifying the exercise. And I think that's probably what's, what's made Strava so popular is they've been able to successfully convert exercise into adventure. Uh, you've got RunKeeper. Uh, this is mainly a GPS product, so there are various fitness activities that you can um, track using GPS, and it gives you some pretty cool statistics around that. Um, RunKeeper was, was acquired by ASICS, the shoe company, I think in 2016, at which point they had around 50 million uh, active users. So very good adoption there. And finally, MyFitnessPal. Um, again, most of us are going to be familiar with MyFitnessPal, which uses um, exercise and nutrition to calculate um, their end users like optimal caloric intake. Um, yeah, if you go down for me, thank you. What I love about MyFitnessPal, um, for the very few of you that probably haven't seen it, is they've taken the complex world of you know, diet tracking and nutrition and they've made it extremely simple. A couple of the um, unique features are um, a GPS pin locator, so if you're using their food diary and you're at a restaurant and you uh, have a meal, you hit the little pin icon, and um, most often it's going to pull the restaurant menu, allowing you to just single-click that meal and directly log it in your food diary without having to do the pecking and the typing on your phone to record all of that uh, nutrition information. They've also got a barcode scanner, which is, uh, which is very similar, allowing you to capture UPC on any uh, food or beverage that you consume, and it goes right into the, uh, right into the nutrition log. You know, I, I think they have something like, what do we see, Andrew? I think it was 50,000 foods in their database. Yeah. But they've been able to boil that down all to basically one metric. If you go back just for one second, you see the um, your caloric, caloric goal minus the um, calories that you've consumed plus your exercise. And it all comes down to basically caloric surplus or deficit. So this is a great tool. Uh, it will allow the fitness professional to subscribe to their client's feed. So if you don't have a choice nutrition platform, um, this is one that I would definitely recommend uh, off the shelf and free for the most part checking out. Strava the same way. Strava will allow the, uh, the enterprise to create 
groups and communities on the platform. Um, so regardless of whether you have uh, really good or poor um, outdoor programming through road riding, through run clubs, whatever you're doing, um, check out Strava as a way to create a conduit into um, your local uh, consumer fitness market. And then our final product category, um, we've saved the best for last year. Um, I, I mean, nowadays you literally can't turn on the TV or read the newspaper without hearing about wearable technology. Um, and I think for a lot of us, it's more a question of like, how do we make sense of this and, and how do we actually implement it? You know, wearables are on the same growth curve as the tablet, which penetrated 44% of North America in just four years' time. Uh, I think sales of wear dedicated wearable fitness devices have uh, tripled year over year. And what I think is really interesting about the wearables is they've almost created like an artificial um, feedback loop. I know, Andrew, yeah. we have a lot of people in the office that go to work out at our gym here, either before work or during lunch. And I know people that if they forget their strap or they don't have their watch on, they're not going to get their steps. They just simply won't work out. Yeah. Uh, so it's been really interesting in that way. And there are lots of anecdotes and, and research to support that I, you know, one, one statistic that I've seen is that 60% of people who own a wearable device feel like they're in better control of their health just by owning the device. And nearly the same amount, this is staggering, but 57% of wearable owners believe that it will add an additional 10 years to their lifetime. It's just mind-blowing. So suddenly the $100 device or whatever it is doesn't become that expensive. Uh, and this is, this is really interesting stuff because this is the mindset of this fitness consumer that we're here to talk about today. And uh, I think this would be the appropriate time to introduce you to our special guest who's um, on the frontier of wearable innovation, working on behalf of one of the largest manufacturers of, uh, of electronics in the world, uh, Jeff Cooper. So, Jeff, would you mind uh, introducing yourself to the audience and uh, telling us a little bit about what you do for Samsung? Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I'm Jeff Cooper. I've worked for Samsung for about five years and uh, had spent about 16 years at Nokia prior to that. So I've been over 20 years uh, in the mobile industry. My background is both hardware, software, uh, architecture, and, um, and then about uh, 13 years ago, I pivoted over to more of a business development role. Around that same time in 2004, um, you know, I was uh, dating my now wife and uh, I was pretty overweight. And so the picture here uh, on the left uh, is me back in 2004, and I'm not proud of it. Um, I, you know, this runs in my family. My father and my brother both, uh, both died prematurely from obesity. And I was on a path to that myself. And uh, I realized that. Uh, you know, I've been skinny through college and early years of working, and uh, I just started packing it on. And, you know, through, uh, you know, commitment to someone else, um, you know, I was able to pull in the willpower to start doing something about it. It wasn't easy. Uh, it's always hardest to get started. Um, so I started working out. I started by running and uh, cycling. Um, and I wanted to add swimming because I was a swimmer in high school. So I felt that would be a good also uh, exercise to add. And about the time I was doing this, I got a mailer for a lifetime fitness that was opening up near, near where I lived about a mile away. And so I kind of left it the chance to join them. They had a really nice pool full length. So, um, I joined and I started swimming and, uh, 
I was doing that about a month or so when I decided that to really make this thing move. And I, I was I was shy in the gym itself. Swimming, I wasn't shy. I, I can swim. I'm, I was I at least know what I'm doing there. But with weights and things like that, I really was uh, uninformed. I didn't know what to do, how to do it. And so I approached Lifetime uh, and asked them uh, about the personal training program. And so I in, you know, subscribed to three months, I bought a package of three months of personal training with them. And so for three days a week, for three months in 2005, my trainer, um, you know, and you develop a very personal relationship with those trainers while you're going through this. Um, and he was a good guy, he was a good trainer. And in three months, I dropped 25 pounds just in that time period with him. Um, he taught me how to use the machines. I really honestly thought he would just teach me to uh, lift weights properly. But in addition to that, he did a lot of other things. He put me on battle ropes. He put me on a, a BOSU upside down, um, the curvy side down, and threw a 12-pound medicine ball at me from different angles and to purposefully throw me off balance. And the reason was to develop my core. I had no idea about core muscles. I learned from this guy, and I became confident in the gym. Uh, it's had a lasting effect. So seven months later, uh, I was in great shape, fit, uh, the ideal weight uh, and muscle ratio. Uh, I was in great shape for my wedding and um, was very proud of that transition. Um, you know, there's been a few ups and downs over the years since then, but to a large extent, I've maintained it. I actually weigh less than that now. And uh, I keep up uh, about six days a week workout schedule. Uh, these days, it's running and weightlifting with the occasional swimming. Um, but I don't do as much cycling. But, uh, you know, I'm active. Uh, I, I love it. I'm engaged with my club. Uh, they all know what I do at the club, so I'm always asking them questions. Um, I work, I live in Santa Cruz these days, so it's a beautiful area to run. And, um, you know, so I really, uh, it's something that's very personal to me because of my own family and because I know that I need to do this to stay healthy. And so I've been able to blend my passion of uh, this fitness with my job. And having the wearables come along, when I came to Samsung, I was exposed to the early wearables and I've seen them evolve over a half a dozen product lines in the five years I've been there, and they've they've come a long way. Um, and I, you know, I was a quantified guy in 2004 and five. I had a Garmin Forerunner, so that was my first wearable. Uh, and I I tracked all my workouts in Excel spreadsheets. Today I just track it on my wrist, and I I, you know, I don't keep spreadsheets anymore, but I do know my uh, intake and outflow of calories. So I'm able to keep things in check and balance as a result. Thank you, Jeff. It's uh, it, it's great hearing your story. It's uh, obviously very relatable to this to this topic. And uh, I want to again thank you for for joining us and looking forward to your your insight on the topic. Um, so so Garrett and Jeff, now um, the question we're here to answer today is is how can we convert this information into strategy that we can use to our advantage? Yeah, I'll 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 take that. Um, look, I, we've had, we have a lot of time. We have the, the, the benefit of um, you know, being in the fit tech space, so we, we've had a lot of time to think about this. And I think looking at the pr product categories that we've discussed today and others, um, I'd propose that there are kind of four central themes um, behind what make all of the broad themes that behind what make all of those product categories really successful with consumers. 
Um, the first is experience. Experience is a word that I've probably overused today, but we see that in products, uh, some of the video on demand products like Daily Burn who are trending towards this idea more of a, of a live stream to create experience. We see it in Strava with the ability to personalize and personify your fitness experiences, and clearly there's an experience element in obstacle racing. So there seems to be a, a genuine novelty for consumers when it comes to these unique experiences. Uh, convenience, which you can see is number two on the list. Convenience really is a characteristic of every successful uh, consumer product that we've looked at. Um, when you research the market, um, there's definitely a pattern of products that are designed to support lifestyle and the consumer and not the other way around. Another recurring theme is the idea of uh, convenient price models. So fee for value versus the more traditional, at least to us in the fitness industry, the more traditional fee for service model. Um, let's see. So, and then personalization. Um, personalization is really, I think, attractive to consumers because it, it offers a confidence in uh, more optimally reaching a desired outcome. And it also pairs nicely with this overarching theme of consumers wanting to proactively be in charge and control their health destiny. And then finally, education. Uh, I think most of us know this already, uh, even within commercial. Education has evolved to become more than just a uh, a driver on successful consumer fitness strategy, and, and really an expectation of consumers because it is so ubiquitous. Uh, interestingly enough, though, um, when you look at all these product categories, uh, consumers still demonstrate a willingness to pay for education, but you know, generally on their own more economical and consumable terms. So um, with that, let, let's just break these down one at a time, and, and get, we'll get into more of the um, implementation and ideas around these attributes. Um, so let's let's go over to personalization. So, in in, in order to personalize, you re you really need to intimately know your target. That could be a prospect or a member. Uh, and in order to do that, you need to know their behaviors, and that's really where the value I think of data comes in. Um, personalization, of course, allows us to have more connected and meaningful relationships with uh, again the prospect or the member, and then uh, recommend or propose more concentrated products at just the right time. Um, so, Jeff, I want to turn it over to you. Can you give us some examples of how Samsung is using technology or maybe maybe even partners is using technology uh, to help clubs better personalize their products and services? Sure. <clears throat> so, the goal of uh, my my existence here, my working in this, this space, is to connect all the dots. Um, Wearables can, you know, they're on you 24-7 and they can, uh, everything can be measured and quantified and uh, everything can be uh, connected through them. And so to kind of illustrate the point, the DIY exercises, the things you do at home, do it yourself, are actually, as stated, pretty well covered. You've got your Stravas and your Under Armour apps. Um, you can track your food intake. There's Noom. There's Map. Uh, what was it? Uh, Map My Fitness or Map My uh, My Fitness Pal. Uh, you've got connected scales. Um, you've got uh, sleep trackers. You can just simply wear the wearable to bed, and it measures your motion and heart rate throughout the night. All of this stuff is covered for all of the stuff you do at home. And clubs. You can connect to those databases through your app. You can say, I want to connect to Strava servers. So I, you can actually see that external data. And that's good. It's good for you to see that. I think it's useful information that you can operate on. 
do you know your members are active outside the club? Where things are less uh, connected actually are in the club. Um, you have all these different machines and it is possible to, you know, through Map My Fitness to say I'm doing an elliptical. Uh, you can specify a very specific machine and hit start and then when you're done hit stop. Um, but if you change machines or if you do a lot of things, um, and especially if you do weights, group training or uh, group fitness or work with trainers, none of that is captured. And, um, and personally, if I go to the weight room, um, I do spend a fair amount of time there when I go to the gym. But then I break and I go over and I do some battle ropes and I do some kettlebells standing on a BOSU, and, you know, harking back to my original trainer. Um, you know, I still do those things that are core exercise. I want to make sure I'm not quite, you know, I, I need to balance those core muscles to do this. And then I'm doing jump rope and I'm doing vertical jumps and slam balls. I'm doing other things as part, you know, part two of my workout. And these, I'm doing a lot of things and I can't track that with an app. Um, and so really what it ends up being is, you know, everything outside the gym is capturable and very little inside the gym has been capturable. And I want to bridge that gap. I want to connect the dots. So just to iterate, I have something I can track every nuance of my life, but when I go to my club, it's a black hole uh, for the data. So to illustrate, um, I've got this diagram. I show all these devices that a person can have on their body. Um, your various members uh, on the left and on the right are the disparate pieces of equipment in a club the facility itself, you have signage in the club, uh, and so forth. What I want to do is connect these through using the radios on the watch. They have Bluetooth, they have Wi-Fi. Um, some of them have NFC. There's different ways that they can interact and communicate with the background um, through what I call context-enabled applications. And the other thing I want to say is that uh, by adding this context capability, you have an ability to automate the applications. So the user is not having to say start recording and stop recording. Because a number of times, even going on a run, I'll forget to start the app and I'm a half mile into my run and it's like, oh darn, I forgot to do this and I'm missing a half mile of my run. Um, you know, it's frustrating when you really want to track this and you would like to have that data. Um, so automation and touch-free, touchless, uh, no fuss or the solutions that we're looking for. To uh, start with, you know, before we even get into the wearable side of things, your mobile app is the first step that you can start with, uh, that you can add some basic elements to that mobile app that are fairly simple, that will give you valuable information uh, just, just on a mobile phone. So take your club app. Uh, and if you don't have one, there are plenty of companies out there that do have uh, skinnable club apps that can be branded to your club. Um, and so I do recommend having an app because that's the first stage of engagement of your members. Uh, taking that club app to uh, add a small contextual element to it. And by that context, I mean having the application know something specific about what's going on this moment. And what you can do is put a simple beacon in the entrance to your club. And a beacon is nothing more than a Bluetooth emitter. Um, it's low power, it's inconspicuous, it can go under the desk. Nobody will have to know that it's there. 
when I walk in the front door into the lobby, the phone will detect that beacon, the app can launch and signal the club that Jeff has entered your club. And what you can do with that is automate check-in. As I walk by the front desk, the signal exchange occurs, your backend system surfaces my photo. When I go to my current club, I check in by fingerprint. This just replaces that. Puts up my photo, my current status on the screen. Do I need to update my credit card? If everything's good, you just say, welcome, Jeff. Have a great workout. That's it. I go on in, I change, I go do my workouts. What this also does, and this is what you don't necessarily see, is your current methods of check-in are great. You, you know, you, I check in and you know I'm there, but you don't know when I leave. Having this check-in system also, by nature, it's a checkout system. And so when I walk back by that front desk to leave, uh, you know, 45 minutes or an hour later, hopefully, uh, you know when I left the club. And so it gives you more data on me. Did I, how long was I there? What was my duration of visit? Was I there for 15 minutes? Was I there for an hour? If I'm only showing up for 15 minutes, a couple times a week, and my frequency of appearing at the club goes down, you can pretty much probably be sure that I'm a candidate for letting my membership lapse. And a lot of what my goal is, is to stop the attrition, because I know it's high. It's 35 to 45% annually for most clubs, according to IRSA. And it really, and it's expensive to recruit. Um, and, you, you know, rather than chase the attrition curve, I want to stop the attrition. I want to create engagements. Back in 2004, when I was chubby, and out of shape. I'm a shy guy in a lot of ways by nature. Uh, let's put it this way, I'm self-conscious. And when I would go to the club, I just felt, you know, there's these guys that are, you know, muscular grunting around me, uh, you know, doing all this stuff and looking like experts. And I feel like a, you know, an amateur and it's frustrating. So you tend to go where people aren't so that you're not around them. And you tend not to, you, you give it a half-hearted attempt. If you detect that people are staying for shorter periods of times, you can do things like, you know, preempt uh, that and reach out to them. Uh, your trainers, if they're not 100% used, uh, use spare training hours where they're not utilized and offer an hour free session to these members and use it as a training session, an onboarding session, you know, orient them to the club, how to use it, make them feel more confident that don't worry, you know, hey, this is a journey, this is the beginning of it, it gets easier, you'll get more confident. Build that up, build a rapport with them, and they'll keep coming back. And what's more is if that person begins to engage in the club in a more meaningful way, rather than dropping out, they become begin to become more fit. Then their friends and coworkers start to notice that. And then word of mouth starts to occur, and then you they do the job for you in recruiting. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, you can arrest those early droppers and get them more actively engaged in the club. There's other things that you can do um, upon entry to the club that, oops, sorry, let me go back one. Um, instant promotion. When I walk in that front door, that same trigger that checks me in can also push a notification to my phone. If I show up five or 10 minutes before a group fitness class, why not alert me that there's a class coming up if I wish to participate? 31% um, of non-group members would consider participating in group fitness. People who participate in group fitness are actually less likely to quit the club. So again, you have a retention issue 
just by simply making sure people are aware of what's going on in the club. Tell them I've got a Zumba class or a body pump coming up in 10 minutes, five minutes. And then I can just go to it. And then, uh, you know, it, it, again, it broadens their engagement in the club. It's not just I'm coming in and doing treadmill, but I did a group fitness today. And maybe I made a friend doing that group fitness. So there are other things you can do if that trainer uh, has a, um, you know, if that person has a personal training. Got a little bit of lag here. Hold on. Can you advance the slide? There we go. Um, if the person's actually taking personal training, you can use the entry to the club to also notify their trainer. If they show up on the schedule as having a training session near when they check in, simply alert the trainer that they're there so that make sure that they're in place and ready for them when they show up in the training area. I love that, Jeff. Uh, you know, to I guess to bookend this couple of suggestions that you gave, which were very topical, and I know the audience appreciates those uh, those examples. You know, there's good coverage in terms of harvesting data outside of the club, but we need to make sure that uh, the marquee training programs and the main faculties of the club are covered in terms of um, data harvest. And like like you and I have talked about before. Uh, the application, once you have the data, is almost endless. And you've just given a couple of very uh, topical examples that uh, tie back to, to KPIs that we'd be concerned with as club operators. So love that. Um, let's switch gears and talk um, a little bit about education, which is the second component um, on the list of four. You know, I, I think most of us, especially club operators who employ um, – you know, employ a forward-thinking PT staff, understand that the position of authority for fitness guidance is, is really, and the delivery of that guidance is ours to lose. Uh, but we know consumers are demanding a lot more. With, with all of the uh, information that's available on the internet, all the products and tools that we've talked about, self-education is, is really uh, abundant. Uh, Jeff, I had the luxury of hanging out with you last week uh, for about an hour and a half in CES. And one of the things that you talked about was um, using technology to, to better educate members. Could you just expand on that a little bit? Sure. So, okay. Other things, sorry, getting ahead here. So uh, other things that you can do with your club app um, are offer video content uh, that they can stream to their TVs at home uh, in a hotel room. If I, you can give me content that I can do outside of the club, but that's, you know, maybe perhaps you subscribe to video content uh, as a club and then you uh, pass that on to your members. And it can be done for premium. Uh, it can be done as part of my membership. Uh, if I go traveling for a couple of weeks and you want to keep me engaged in fitness so I don't fall off the uh, fitness wagon or get out of the habit of it, uh, I could do workouts in my room in the morning before I go out for my meetings, my business meetings, or in the evening when I get back. Um, there's all kinds of things you can do with, uh, you know, with Chromecasting. Uh, there's all kinds of multicasting technology available these days. And so that's an option that you can do. Um, other things you can do in the club is offer help videos on how to use particular pieces of machinery. Uh, if you buy a newfangled piece of equipment, a skill mill, which is a little different than your average treadmill. And, uh, you know, I, you can offer videos. Uh, I'm sure Technogym makes those available anyways on how to use these. So you can make video content available in the club um, that is uh, instructional on how to use these machines so that people are better engaged with the club and are using the machines to the best of their capability within the club. 
um, and new machines that you buy don't go disused. To that, um, moving on into the smart wearable space uh, where things really start to take hold, this is where real personalization and customization comes in. Smartwatches are not fitness trackers, which just track data and report back to a mobile device, but they don't actually do anything. Smartwatches are fully, uh, you know, like miniature versions of a phone. They have rasters, they have a, a display that is, you know, capable of displaying changing information. They react, they have their own, they have their own processors on board. Uh, the applications can um, measure, coach, prompt, uh, and do all sorts of things uh, from the wrist. Um, and so they are much more capable devices. Uh, our watches, for instance, work across all phones. You don't have to have a Samsung phone. It'll work with any Android phone or iOS. So we are agnostic in terms of the wearable. Now the wearables that are coming out uh, here on out are, are swimmable, uh, five atmospheres, which means you can go lap swimming and we've got multiple swimming apps. We've got swim.com and Speedo apps on the watches that allow you to uh, track to a high degree of uh, your swimming. Uh, and those will allow you to, uh, you can even record freestyle versus you know, backstroke, breaststroke, and butterfly. Um, they automatically detect all of that. They track your length and your heart rate throughout it. Um, these are now available on the wearables. Uh, if you have a pool, and you have people who use that, they absolutely can use these in that situation. Um, using the watches in the club, the watches can intelligently narrow down the type of workout you're doing based on where they are in the club. The beacon that I mentioned, which is again, a small emitter, you can deploy more of those in your club. They're, they're inexpensive devices, um, sometimes costing $25 or less. Um, you can put a few of these around your club, put one in the weight room, put one in the cable machines, put them in the group fitness studios, put one in the pool area, put one by the cardio machines. When my watch is in these areas, it can read those beacons and it can understand that, hey, this guy's doing cardio. I'm going to measure his pulse. I'm going to measure some accelerometer data. I'm going to pick an effort of workout and apply a calorie formula. Is that calorie formula for cardio, for swimming, for uh, you know, for lifting weights, um, based on all of that, that can, uh, enables a somewhat more accurate calorie estimation for the workout burned. You can also tag that workout so that when the person later reviews their logs, they see that I did weightlifting on Tuesday and then I did swimming on Wednesday and then I did a, a Zumba class on Thursday. If you have these in your group fitness class, you know that I'm in studio two at 10 o'clock, that's Zumba. And if I'm in studio one at 10 o'clock, that's body pump. Um, and so you can tag these workouts to whatever I'm doing. Um, and it gives you a trackability for uh, understanding the usage of these classes. And it gives the member the, uh, the you know, uh, a positive feedback in that they get a very detailed list of what they've done. Love it. Thanks, Jeff. Um, I want to add to that uh, as well, just to remind the audience that, um, you know, programming can extend beyond just the activity that happens in the gym. I think that's, in my uh, experience working in clubs, I think that's always been the challenge um, in, in uh, implementing a programming menu that extends beyond just physical activity. I think for most of us, uh, fitness will always be at the center um, 
of what we do, but it should be supported by an ecosystem of supplemental products and services. Um, I've always loved the idea of like subject-specific uh, community workshops as a form of education because they're a great way to attract, we, we know everyone who exercises, whether it's conscious or subconscious, is exercising towards an outcome. So these, these type of free workshops are a great way uh, to attract the fitness consumer who otherwise may not simply be um, interested in a membership offer. Um, and it's even better, I think, with uh, these community workshops if you can offer them in a digital format, either through a podcast or a video conference, because we talked uh, earlier a little bit about convenience. And again, that's just a way uh, of lowering the barrier of entry. Um, so experience uh, is three of four here. This, this one's probably, I think, it's, it's a great sandbox. To me, this is the funnest attribute to talk about because there's so much latitude in terms of what you can actually do and how creative you can get. Um, you know, just, just, just as a refresher on the impact of experience on our business model, you know, first I think experiences are really powerful because they help uh, insulate uh, against competition. Keep in mind, experiences are very difficult for uh, your competitors to replicate. And we also know from like our own industry research that members cite atmosphere as the number one driver that influences their choice of, of where to work out. Um, Jeff, I'm hoping you can share with us. I know you have a couple slides ahead. I'm hoping you can share with us. Um, uh, you, talked, uh, you talked in the last slide about the smart watch and some of the data that it can aggregate. Can you share with us some ways that the data can be used to create custom experiences? Sure. So one of the benefits of when I said that you can know what areas of the club I'm in, uh, the watch can know and be able to uh, measure those types of workouts. You can also see at a map level how I'm using the club. If I'm only coming in and using a single piece of machinery, uh, such as a treadmill, it's going to become pretty obvious on a heat map that that's the same thing I'm doing every week. Um, and again, I may be a, a candidate for leaving the club um, eventually. And so what you can do is incentivize me to try other machines uh, and prompt me to uh, get me interested in trying uh, elliptical, get me interested in trying weights, get me interested in a group fitness class. And you can use a reward system. If you have a point uh, member rewards, you can use that and give me points for trying different equipment. Because at the end of the day, if you give away a free smoothie or protein bar once in a while as a reward, it's a smaller investment than recruiting a replacement for me if I let it lapse. And the idea is, is to understand and to broaden my engagement of the club. If, um, you know, you have a, oops, sorry, Slight lag. Okay. So if you are, uh, you know, having group fitness, you can have a leaderboard on the screen in that machine in that room, and the people who have watches can show up on the leaderboard. It may cause people who don't have them to want them to uh, also show up, and it, it gives a friendly form of competition. People can see their results up on a board and can try that extra bit to, you know, maybe advance a position on there, and they get to get a few more heartbeats per per minute out. Uh, and just push just that little bit harder to get in, let's say from a, you know, yellow into orange or orange into red in terms of the color zones of the heart rate. Um, these are ways to incentivize people. Um, at an aggregate level, you can look at everybody's usage of the gym and see, you know, what is the most used, what's underused. Maybe I should promote these. Maybe I should rearrange some of the equipment so it's more visible. There's a lot of things you can do with the aggregate data. We're just scratching the surface of what you can do with analytics. Over time, as you gather data, you will start to have other ideas of what I can do with the data. 
Um, it, but, to, but initially there are things, you know, attrition is the first thing to attack because it is so costly to replace members. Um, and again, as I said before, uh, you know, you can record exercise by type uh, and suggest variability, which keeps me interested in the club. Um, and using that reward system, um, you can use it in a number of ways. You can incentivize me for, uh, for trying different machines, but you can also incentivize me to come during non-peak hours. If peak hours are a problem, five o'clock, everyone gets off work and your gym's overcrowded. If I have the option of coming in at three o'clock when it's not so busy, give me a, you know, some bonus points for coming in on non hours. So level out your facility usage. So there are other creative ways you can use the member rewards to, uh, you know, to uh, benefit the club and to benefit the member experience. Thanks, Jeff. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left because we want to make sure to uh, provide five minutes for Q&A. Um, so we'll just kind of bookend this uh, by touching on convenience. Um, you know, convenience is key. I, I know that as commercial fitness operators, we, we really already uh, already witnessed this in many ways through our hours of operation, et cetera. But it's, I think this is one we've got to pay extra close attention to um, because, again, we know that not making it to the gym or being too busy are leading um, indicators uh, or causes of attrition. So, uh, Jeff, could you give us maybe just one idea of a way that uh, a commercial operator could present convenience in, in their business? Well, one of the things that I push is automation so that when a person comes to the club, it's automatic. So um, we've got a couple of solutions out there. Uh, the first one is with Pair Sports. They're in the process of deploying to a club uh, regional chain out here in California. Uh, it's not deployed yet, so I can't name them, but they're integrated with the trainer. It's convenient. I show up. The trainer um, knows I'm there. They have a check-in system as part of this. When I show up and I go to my trainer, I work out. My heart rate appears on a trainer tablet. Um, and that trainer can then, based on my workout, feed me custom workouts for days off. Uh, and he can push those workouts. He custom creates them on the tablet and hits go. And it pushes them out to my watch so that a day or two later, when I come back to the club on my own, I have a guided workout. It's extremely convenient. Um, the watch will coach me. I don't have to do very much. I just have to do the workout. Um, it's no fuss. And so therefore, it's convenient. Um, secondly, I do want to talk about another partner we have. Uh, currently, they're not integrated with the club, but they have a very complete adaptive fitness workout that um, they can push workouts to you. You can offer these for your members to follow these workouts in the club on their own pace um, or outside the club. It is a brandable experience that's also that's an adaptable algorithm and the, this particular one has advanced motion algorithms. So if my app is telling me to do 10 barbell curls, it will count those curls. And if I slow down on the last couple, it'll wait for me and it'll count those. If I have to do 10 burpees, it will count those 10 burpees, but it uses the motion recognition that I'm doing a burpee. So if you tell me to do 10 burpees and I do jumping jacks, it won't count it. So it knows what a burpee looks like from the watch perspective on the body. So these guys have integrated that motion, motion recognition capability. And again, it is a brandable and Sweatworks is well established in the fitness industry. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it, they are well, it, it's ready to go. Both of these solutions are ready to go. And so from a convenience viewpoint to the operators, there's not a lot you have to do other than uh, 
integrate it into your back end and, um, you know, and brand it your own branding. So it's a straightforward solution. And then finally, um, you know, there's remote virtual training that you can do through both of these uh, solutions that you can reach beyond your four walls and even outside of your club uh, membership area if you wish. And one last note on compliance with corporate wellness. It helps make you more competitive in your local market for corporate wellness with your uh, with, uh, local employers. Um, you have data that you can now feed back to that employer uh, in aggregate on the employees that are working out at, their, at your club. You're able to provide this information back so that they can then do ROI calculations. Uh, currently, a lot of companies reimburse a club membership but they don't have any way to know if you actually went. You know, my company, you know, uh, you know, reimburses for my club membership, but right now there's no feedback that I went to the club. Um, and so they don't know if it's doing them any good or not. This allows you to feedback and they can do a direct ROI calculations and look at, let's say the past year and say, did we have a you know, corresponding reduction in medical expenses as a result of this? And it improves the competitiveness. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate making that uh, concise. So we'll just do a quick recap here and, and bring it home. We've got a couple minutes left, guys, so we're looking into um, whether or not we can do facilitate a Q&A through the, uh, the GoToMeeting. Um, so if you do have questions, feel free to try to submit those across to chat. And we, in the couple of minutes that we have left, we'll try to address um, whatever we can. And you can email me as well afterwards if you wish. Uh, this is my email address, jeff.cooper at samsung.com, and I'm happy to follow up with you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and feel free to reach out. Uh, everyone will make sure we have uh, PDF copies of the uh, of the deck to distribute with everyone's contact information. Um, so, in in review here, uh, market forces are expanding consumer fitness. There's a big group of fitness consumers who exercise regularly, and uh, they don't belong to a gym. And uh, these consumers we've discussed today are pursuing products that uh, offer experience, convenience, education, and personalization. So. Uh, with that, we'd like to thank you for your time, and um, again, we'll hang around for a few minutes uh, and see if we can get some questions across, but it, it doesn't appear that we're going to be able to do that through GoToMeeting. So um, for those of you that have hard stops, um, thanks again, and uh, we appreciate your participation today. Okay, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, I haven't seen any questions come through. so. I appreciate you guys taking the time to speak to our audience. And again, thanks for all the attendees who could make it out. And everyone have a great day. Thank you, Garrett. I appreciate being invited. Thanks as well, Jeff. Thank you, Rachel. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.